And welcome back, everyone, to the Yacht Rock Podcast out of the main. Um, John, it's getting to be that time of year where you and I start wandering out of uh, the harbor and into sometimes uncharted waters in terms of I'm not exclusively listening to Yacht Rock here in October. Are you? No, not really. Yeah, you're right. And um, we're not maybe as far out as the Bermuda Triangle episode, but yeah, you're right. No. It, once once the we cross the Rubicon of uh, Labor Day weekend, then I do, I start drifting off into other harbors, indeed. This year, for whatever reason, and you may know this if you listen to listener Kyle, who invited me on to his, his Monday night uh, program, yeah. Sailing with Captain Kyle. For whatever reason, this year I drifted into a harbor known as Power Pop. Right. Um, guided only slightly by Captain Kyle. I kind of did it on my own. And one of my discoveries, I guess it wasn't a discovery, but maybe some like realization, is how good Toto is in the Yacht Rock genre yeah. and how good they are in the power pop, how good they are in the prog rock genre. They are chameleons. Yeah, we often wondered how uh, Hold the Line got lumped in with Yacht Rock because that is pure power pop. And uh, we're going to find out a little more about that, right? We are. We have a really interesting guest that, in a way, also came to us by way of said Captain Kyle, listener Kyle. Yep. And um, he's working on a really interesting project. It is a documentary all about the life and times of Toto's Bobby Kimball. It's called I Kite on a String, and his name is John Zaka. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So we've spoken a little bit about what you got going on. It's incredibly interesting. I can't wait for this to come out, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on? It's a documentary, right? And you're work pulling together footage and doing interviews as we speak. Yeah, I, I don't claim to be a documentary filmmaker, but I, I guess I've been... I push myself into it, or I play one on TV. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, it, it, it just, it, it was necessary. It needed to happen. Um, Bobby's in a situation, uh, his, his health is compromised. He, he has what they call frontal temporal dementia. Um, it's very debilitating. Your brain shrinks at an accelerated rate versus normal dementia, which is horrible in Alzheimer's, but... It's time to do this, and he's aware enough that he's happy that I'm doing this, and he can understand it, and and just seeing the joy is amazing. And it basically all started with, I went to L.A., uh, I don't know if you're aware of that Tennington Park project where Mm -hmm. we do like covers. I went to L.A., and the next one up we were doing was a duet with Mickey Thomas and Bill Champlin. done while I was there I got the masters the two inch master analog tapes from an album that Bobby and I did in 96 in San Francisco at Hyde Street Studios that originally was called All I Ever Needed uh I got the masters back and it's that's a sordid tale in itself how it ended up in Europe and was released over there and nobody ever heard of it over here really or in other countries it just charted well over there and somebody else was behind it so I brought the Masters to a studio, Clear Lake in Burbank, 
and I transferred them to a hard drive. They transferred it for me. I went by and picked it up. I flew back here. I started pulling it into my Pro Tools rig and listening to Bobby's vocals. I mean, he was so, so powerful at that time and doing so well with his vocals. And it's uncanny, even while I'm working on this project, anytime his vocals, I solo him, it's the weirdest thing. It's like he'll text me or he'll call me. Oh, wow. Right when I'm soloing his vocals. It's, oh. it's like a kind of a spiritual thing. I, you know, I'm not a big woo, but it happens. <laughs> and I'll just look down and go, wow. And yeah. I'll try to explain to him what's going on. But so anyway, I was flying it in and I had all these tracks up there and I'm looking at it. And we're in a time, as you guys know, where people's attention spans are really about eight seconds now. And they just move on to the next thing. Thus, really, things aren't a huge hit anymore. Like when we were growing up and WRAF and all these radio stations were announcing great records coming out on Friday. Yeah, where songs were cultural and they'll last all summer long. Now it's a couple weeks and poof. Right, and there were like four or five shows at Kobo Arena sold out for any rock band or whatever, and Pine Knot, all that. It was just a fanfare, and we were all excited. Now it's just like, oh, so-and-so's got a new song out. There's a little pulse maybe for some of them, and then it's over. And it's gotten to the point where I was also in a uh, uh, Zoom meeting with a bunch of producers, and these A&R people from a few labels were there, and they're seriously considering making 16-second songs. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because of... Because TikTok. Of, uh, TikTok. Yeah. TikTok. Oh, man. And, and I'm like, wow. So we already got an eight-second attention span. Let's dwindle it down. They take 16 seconds. If they can't listen to three or five minutes for eight seconds, how are they going to listen? So that's where we're at. And and I'm... It's a struggle. And, and labels today are that of... You know, they... Their intentions are well, but we're in a social media time, and the first thing they'll ask is, how are your socials? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they want that because they want you to be able to pick up the ball, and they don't want to spend that money yep. developing or promoting anymore. And we went through that in the last record that Bobby did. So I was kind of frustrated looking at it going, wow, this is Bobby in his prime. Nobody's really heard this stuff. And it's sad. The world's not going to hear it. And then he called me. At that moment, and he was having a down evening and or late afternoon, and he said, John, can you help me? You know, nothing's of substance there, just basic, John, can you help me? Mm. And I said, Bobby, I'll always help you. And I hung up the phone, and I had a tear streaming down my eyes, and I looked at the screen, and I said, I need to do a documentary. That's it. I don't want this guy going out of this planet unrecognized or being recognized for the guy that has dementia and his current state, um, which he loves everybody now. I mean, he always did, but, you know, when you're a rock star or whatever in there, you have all the adulation. People don't understand everything you're saying, but now it's all about love for him. So I set out. That was February I set out immediately, and I left for Louisiana. I went to his hometown, Venton. I hooked up with his niece, uh, talked to his sister, Tina, uh, started to get to know his uh, sister-in-law, Susie Kimball, who's been a huge help. Got to know Philip Crawford, who's 
Bobby's brother's best friend who grew up there and knows all the ins and outs. And I had been down there. I got to know his mother and father. That's where I got kite on a string. Now, it took another person to pull it out of me. They asked, well, what was it like when you met his mother and father? And his mother said to me, I asked Ruby, who was kind of in a wheelchair. It was so she could get around the kitchen. She was a character, a great lady. And I said, Ruby, what was Bobby like as a child? And she went, oh, boy, he was a kite on a string. (laughs) There it was. And there it was. So when I was talking to this other person that makes documentary films, and they said, what did his mother say? And I said, wow. She said he was like a kite on a string. There's your title. So I left, went down there, and started filming. And, you know, being that I've never been in music, you know, I've... We've all watched great documentaries and great films. I'm a huge Scorsese fan or Tarantino, and I like that kind of stuff. But I just, how am I going to do this? Therefore, it's been evolving the whole time. I have a basic story. I wrote a treatment down. I ripped it up. I wrote another one down a month later. I ripped it up. As I've been going on these journeys, I've been writing different things down. I just said, you know what? Just stop. You know what you want in your head. Just go get all the footage, and then in the end, I'll sit here with the editor in one station and me with the music and the film tethered back and forth, and we'll just go through and and make it what it is. It's going to be, there'll be some drama and great music. Uh, I plan on licensing the Toto songs. At first, I was thinking 16, then 13. I don't know where I'm at now because it's really expensive, and I'm going to have to take an investor on to do that because i can't i'll drain my savings you know well let's talk about where you are now um because uh, um probably maybe you did but i'm wondering if there was way more work than you realized was going to go into this and so kind of bring us up to speed what's been done now when do you expect the project to be done and uh i'm curious anything that you've learned along the way that would have totally rewritten any of those treatments anyway i gotta imagine by the time you're done collecting the story's going to write itself so you get Bring us up to speed. Right. Well, I, I mean, every time I do one of these interviews, there's, there's so much to talk about because there's so many things that lead to another thing that lead to another thing, unveiling of all kinds of stuff. Now, as you guys know, you're studio guys, right? So you sit there and you you think about it before you get in the studio to start working on it. And you're like, I can get this done like this. And then you realize you get in there. I want it better. I want this better. I want, and the time that goes into it. So that being said, you know, the first thing I did was I rented a camera. It wasn't a good idea. It was somebody else's camera and I paid them to, to use it. And I was getting to know it. And I didn't know all the lighting things and them, you know, the perfect ways of doing things. So I learned that. I went back and redid some interviews, the first ones. And uh, so learning that aspect, the technical aspect of it, to make it great, because I don't want this to just be, uh, hi, my name's Mickey Thomas, and Bobby was a great person. Right. You know, I'm going to be moving. This is going to be moving. There's going to be a neurologist, pretty world-renowned, that's going to be talking about what Bobby has and the fact of his hearing loss, which... A lot of people don't know that led to the kind of led down this path. So, yes, the treatments, why, is because each time I meet somebody, John Smith, an Orrin Guidry who was with Bobby in a band called Machine, they played a club in New Orleans called the Ivanhoe. These guys played from 9 at night till 5 in the morning, 45-minute sets. And they just, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and through this place, 
Led Zeppelin comes in. John Paul Jones asks to use Bobby B, Bobby's B3 on a break. Bobby's like, do you know how to play? And he said, I'm with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> oh, my God. The stories. You know, Black Sabbath was out on the street, and they were like, your band's awesome. And Bobby's like, you guys play? We're Black Sabbath. And Bobby's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so all of this stuff. And, and I didn't, I mean, I knew a long time ago, but I, didn't, I don't think I knew Bobby when Repeat Offender came out. I don't know what year that came out. I, either I did or I didn't. But I didn't realize that Bobby and Bill were on repeat offender all over it. Yeah, the Richard Marks album, right? Is that right? Yeah, right. okay. Yeah, sorry. Yep. Richard Marks uh, album, repeat offender. And their backgrounds are there. And, and then Bill has told me a bunch of stories. So every time you go in to like today, sitting with you guys, there might be something I go, you know what? I should get that. I should get this. It just keeps, it's like when you're doing a, writing a song. You know, you're you're sitting there playing with the bridge or the chorus, and you realize, well, I I, I need to go back to the yeah. verse. And you also got to be able to make decisions and and move on too. Otherwise, you'll never meet your deadline, right? So, it gets to the point where you kind of got to to balance those, and you know, not worry if something gets left in the bag. I suppose it's hard, right? Right. And so, yes, it's been a monumental task, and I've been by myself doing this. Hopefully, after this next trip to L.A., um, I'm going to go interview a bunch of people there. One of them I just confirmed yesterday, Jason Sheff, who's oh, yeah. one of Bobby's dearest friends. So that was a good pull-in. Uh, but there's a lot of more, lot more surprise guests. So, yeah, every time you get done with one, you're like, wow, here's another. I, I've done like 53 so far. And, you know, you get all that footage with them, and you're like, Dang, I'm not going to be able... I'll have to take this part and use this part because I'll have to move right out of it. Otherwise, this thing would be like, you know, 10 hours long. And obviously, you're talking to the other uh, Toto guys, at least as much as the ones that want to talk, right? Right. The first one, and what an amazing person, and we all know musician and songwriter, was Steve Picaro. Yes. Uh, Bill Champlin. I asked Bill, do you have Steve's number? And he gave me Steve's number. And I called him and left him a message, and within, I don't know, an hour, and he was probably in a session, called me back, and he said, yes, 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 I love Bobby. And that was so great to hear, because I didn't know, you know, we're we're dealing with an anomaly here, this whole Toto thing of, you know, fans that try to keep these guys divided and say things, and they think they're getting favor with one by saying this and mm. the other. So it's kind of a weird entity, that whole thing. It's a great entity. We love it. I mean, the, what they did was amazing. But, you know, you're dealing with some guys that they're rock stars, you know, and everybody has their little quirk. But Steve, right off the bat, Steve was such a joy. And then he, uh, I said, would you mind playing on some? Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, I, I saw, I've watched it actually a few times now. There's actually a trailer out for Kite on a String if you want to get a little 
um, taste test of what this might be like. And Steve is uh, featured prominently in there. And I just wanted to say that I watched it about five minutes before we came on here, and that was probably my fourth or fifth time watching it. And I get choked up every single time. I mean, if that's a clue as to what this movie's going to look like, oh boy. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, there's two trailers, and I'm going to be doing another thing on what happened in the studio. We'll go into that in a minute. But Steve, um, I had to do that interview. I think it was like at noon, L.A., and then I had to leave for San Francisco to go to the studio there and film where we recorded said project that's going to be all over this. Uh and when we got to that part, I think I said, Steve, was there any song? And he said, Secret Love. What do you hope for so long? He waits though he knows She's gone he So I turned the camera back on, turned the audio zoom back on uh and i said go ahead and he said that story and then i had I, I wasn't i think i probably heard the track before but really i wasn't you know it was like buried on that record hydra i think and, and and i got in the car and i had to drive to san francisco and i was on the five and all the mountains and i hit that song and by the time bobby starts doing those climbs and swells I was bawling like a baby. Mm. I mean, people on the highway were probably like, what's wrong with that guy? Because like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about my friend and all that he's going through and how I can help him and how I can't and what I can do. And what I can do is just do this justice and be there for him. Uh, and that moment with Steve was, was unbelievable. That touched my heart. And even watching it back, you know, when when I watch that back every now and then, every time, like like you, John, it, I just feel like I'm getting a little, and I I got to walk away for a minute, you know, because I got to concentrate on work. Yeah. So, can you talk more about the music that is? Because uh, you kind of alluded to that a, ses- a sec- second ago, and about the session that you were heading toward. And so, what can we expect in terms of music that's going to be like the companion piece to the to the doc? Well. Uh, we still have to work out the licensing stuff. And, you know, through that is Sony, the publishers, the writers, all that stuff. So I, I plan on doing this right. You know, that uh, Steve Lukather had a concern that this will end up on YouTube. Uh, no, it won't. It's going to end up with Netflix or Hulu or one of those. It's going to be done right. So there's that to work through. And how to get the original material that Bobby and I recorded with Buzzy Featon, Brian Bromberg, Joel Taylor, Mitchell Foreman, uh, Larry Batiste, Jeannie Tracy, Tony Lindsay, uh, you know, Mark Hugenberger, Alec Milstein, the horn section I had there, Mickey Thomas. All these guys were on that record, and now I've been able to, you know what it's like to bring something back. We didn't have home studios back then. (laughs) So what you cut on tape, it was time to cut tape and do what you had to do, and that's it. Now you're able to go in here, add Bill Champlin vocals to the posse, you know, build mm-hmm. it up. Uh, add Steve Picaro. Will you play an organ part and a synth part? Absolutely, I will. Add Lenny Castro. Lenny Castro played on a track, and, and I'm not done yet. And But I will warn people, this was an energy project, and it's run through a Neve 8038 at High Street Studio. So there's a lot of energy there. It's not a smooth, right. you know, 
It's Power pop, gonna... baby. Power pop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that we can play? Uh, I know you premiered a song with Kyle. Yeah, you can play that this time if you want. The good book says love the neighbor. But I don't see no love inside. So lost it's hard to tell what we were. When will we ever see the light? If we don't come to a solution. What was Bobby Kimball's vocals really about? They were pretty much excitement. They were the car on two wheels. It was the yeah. When the song needed that extra, that explosion for the big chorus, it was Bobby taking it. Right. Absolutely, right, right. He was that sword yeah. cutting through that vocal right. booth, and 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 with imperfections and vibratos and stuff. David Page did an unbelievable job taking that vibrato out of him. But by the time I did this record in '96. With Bobby, well, we started '95 Christmas, and then we went Bobby and I pre-production, and I told him, "I want you to be your Louisiana self. Mm-hmm. I want you to be the Bayou Belter, you know, the Cajun tenor, you know, <laughs> do your thing." Sounds like a boxer, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Raising bull, come yeah. on, buddy. Uh, but but I let Bobby be Bobby and put his. Put his, uh, you know, deal on this on these tracks, and and that's what you got. You got some excitement. Some of his friends down in Louisiana that are musicians and are not are like, "This is Bobby." Mm, okay, we can appreciate what Toto did, and they did it oh so well. And what would it have been like if Bobby was in there for the rest of the run? Who knows? But what I do know is that I know I got something special here, and this is Bobby's voice in. Right, the wheelhouse it belongs mm. with some crazy funk rock and you know well, funky tracks and. You say that that you went and got the tapes and um, grabbed the tracks and and hearing that that's sort of what precipitated this whole process, right? So is that the order that it happened? Because my question is then, what were you going to get the tape for in the first place? What did you have in mind when you went to get those twenty four tracks? I was going to re-release it, and I wasn't going to use a label. I was going to use my own account, you know. I think I was going to use one of my district kid accounts or something. Okay. I have though, unlimited, and just release it to the world. And then, you know, Bobby and I are the publishers, and Dave Barnett's a writer on a couple songs on there. And so, just split the publishing up, put it out there. But then it was like, uh, you know, it was meant to be something I else, guess, something Bob- bigger. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, that was it. Again, I'm not the Goonie Goo Goo guy of like, uh, it was supposed to happen this way. But Bobby did call me at that moment and it did cause me to look at the screen and I went visual, audio, visual, time for a documentary. They see the story. You feel it. You feel the songs more if you see the scenes of Bobby like walking down the road by his house and, you know, something that sentimental plays or or Bobby and I, you know, driving in the car and something funky's happening or whatever. You just, you you have more of a chance to manipulate it with visual. It's like doing a music video, you know? Yeah. What's their job during that? Right. You know? And, and at this point, um, Bobby's still fairly lucid enough that he knows this project is being made or... Right. Yeah, he is. He, he'll send me messages. Sometimes they're disjointed. Uh... John, I love you make film about me. 
Mm. You know, yeah. when are you coming? That's the one that always, I love you. When are you coming? When are you here? When are you here? When are you here? So then when I get there, I usually get them in the car. We go out to the spot on the by the Malibu Beach area where it's like a public access. And we walk around and film and talk. And then I need to get more. I have a ton of him talking about his, you know, childhood and his music career. But he'll, he'll tend to drift uh, into different stories. Like, you know, one time um, before I left, for instance, he used to play the... Uh, I think I was talking to you guys. He used to play the Elton John uh, Civil War trilogy, kind of the Burning Top and the Burn Down the Mission, My Father's Gun, all that stuff. And mm-hmm. he he would play that all the time for you. And he he can't remember that anymore. You know, two hundred songs are down to like two or three. He plays a boogie woogie thing that his mother taught him, and even that uh he'll play hold the line the chorus and he'll sing africa mm. and then he'll catch himself he'll go into what they call these memory wells and then he'll remember something like burn down the mission he ran on a friend of mine's piano played it from top to bottom and 10 minutes later he had no idea what he just played mm. wow. but it does you gotta love him and what would you do for any one of your friends that were going through this and especially the other thing about this whole thing is like I said earlier, the adulation, it's not a, you know, I'm sure people are going, well, poor Bobby, he's a rock star that had this great life and boo-hoo, now he's got dementia. It's not like that, man. It's a person. It's a person that has this and he's struggling. And I just want to do something nice because he did something nice for all of us. He gave us some <laughs> yeah. great music. Yes, yeah. He sang... He sang some ath- anthems of our lives, man, and, True. And, and and these were great songs. So there's another guy, Floyd Sneed, that's part of SS Fools and Three Dog Night that was in SS Fools with Bobby. He's in a nursing home three miles from Bobby. I'm interviewing him. His dementia isn't quite as far. So there might be something else here I'm recognizing where some of these musicians, not just rock stars, but musicians that had all these people around him and now have nothing. That's the loneliness of it. You know, for the past three or four years, Bobby's had four walls and not as many people around him. You know, part of the reason, because he doesn't know how to work things the way he used to. He doesn't know how to get in his MacBook and check emails. He doesn't know what app does what. doesn't know how to go on Facebook. So, you know, I'm trying to do this for them. So there might be something else there for musicians that are struggling that maybe we can try to figure out where there's some kind of organization with people that go by and visit them and talk to them on the phone and talk old stories because that's what they like. When I ask him an old story, he goes in it and he might drift off, but then he'll come back, and it's just joy to see him happy talking about it. Give us a tease, if you don't mind. Um, You can sort of search your memory banks. I know you said you've done 57 or so interviews. Give us a tease of a great story you uncovered in this process that was either a surprise or a tearjerker or a little chuckle so we can get a sense. Because I think the the movie itself is not going to be done until early 2023. Is that right? Uh, yes. I said January, but, you know, I probably should have just said, you know, sometime next year, but I didn't want people to go, oh, it'll never get done, you know, because that's what they do to us as musicians or producing music. They're like, oh, it's never, it'll come out someday, whatever. Well, they give us a taste uh, to whet our appetite and tide us over. Let me think about that, because there's been so many epic stories. There's Bill's story 
you know, about David Foster just when they were working on that tube stuff and, and you know, and, and David just going, Bill, who can you get Bobby Kimball here? And he absolutely. And he calls Bobby, who's on crutches, just got off the Toto 4 tour, you know, after doing the knee damage over the wedge. Uh, and he's in Toluca Lake. And and Bill calls Bobby, and he's there like in 23 minutes or whatever it was. I think that's the time frame that he said. And he got there, and it was like one or two takes, and it was over. And there's that iconic chorus. But don't fall in love. That's what I thought. Yes. Yep. yep. You're talking She's a Beauty, right? Right. She's a Beauty, the tube. Sorry. Yep. Uh, Written I, I by... To, yeah, co-written by Foster and Luke, I believe, yep, right? That's right. Yeah. And then you've got Champ, and now you've got Kimball. I mean, she's a star-studded affair. Let's hear a little of it. So there's that. Uh, also, Bill tells a story about being... Uh, in the booth with uh, Michael McDonald and Bobby and Michael McDonald's, you can't see my 67 because I moved it off here, but it's eating the mic, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, he's right up on there. (laughs) You don't know me. Uh, But, and Bill's like, you know, 12 inches away and Bobby's in another zip code. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably the hottest. Yeah, really. (laughs) And and he, he talks about him. He has these clogs on. And they had to put a carpet down because when it became the ooze that he had to do, Bobby's oh, running mm. from the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a horse. It's like a Monty Python bit. It's like a broken <laughs> rickshaw wheel or something. Oh, my God. Oh, that's funny. So there's that. Um, you know, Steve Steve Picaro talks. Uh, well, actually, it was J-Mo. I don't know if you guys know Paul Jamison. He's from Detroit. You guys need to talk to him sometime. He was Jeff Picaro's main tech the whole time Ooh. oh absolutely he, he has all the stories i was just on the phone with him before we started this interview because i have to bring some stuff to him to la but he's got some epic stories and and it was him that was telling me you know everybody talks about it's even so i saw something this morning it's in luke's book that michael mcdonald was going to be the singer and but that's not what J-Mo said, and one other person said, I won't bring their name into it right now because J-Mo was telling me flat out, and it's in a video, that Jeff Picaro wanted Will Lee as the singer. Wow. Really? Yeah. So he wanted Will Lee, and David had his eyes set on Bobby Kimball because he'd already heard through Joe Shermie and the SS Fool stuff, he heard that wild tenor going off. And that's what he wanted. And uh, so they settled on Bobby. But it, how much different would things be? You know, I'm not sliding Will Lee, but, right. you know, that energy of Bobby, it would have been it would have been a slick track, I think, even though some kind of kind of are. But the, the energy would it would have been different. Could have had two bass parts. <laughs> Could have had two bass parts. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Will Lee's voice is just so, you know, it's got its own character. It almost sort of. I don't want to say overwhelms the tune, but it doesn't blend the way Bobby's power just like seems to blend right in with this huge horn section and the hard guitars, and it's just perfect. Right? I can't imagine that happening with Willie, but who knows? Yeah, and and you know they 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 had those tunes. They had a lot of those tunes, like "Right Part of Me," I think, and uh, "Mrs. Johnson." These songs that are on that Greatest Hits record. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's what the, seventy-seven to ninety-seven. Yeah, or the XX the, thing. The, the, XX. Yep. Right. I love that Rex. So the do tale I. Tale of a man. <laughs> but uh, anyway, power pop. Uh, <laughs> That's on my power pop playlist. Yeah, yeah. I just had to right. throw that in there. But they had those things written, and uh, they were waiting. Uh, surprises. Orrin Gidry, that was in the machine with Bobby, told me that Bobby, while they were waiting, you know, it was like Jeff and Paige were like in, in that studio. I, I think it leads rehearsal or something, working the songs out. I'd have to go back and reference, which I'm all over all kinds of stuff, but reference like Steve's take and Lenny. I interviewed Lenny, who's an unbelievable guy, too. Uh, they all have these stories about the way it started. And that's another thing I want to correct real quick is that I'm not here to correct everybody. I'm here to let these guys tell their story and, you know, let the listener and the viewer draw their own conclusion. I'm not here to go, yeah, he's wrong, he's right, he's right. You know, let them tell their stories because they that's the uniqueness of it. They remember it their own way. But the thing was is that while they were waiting and I think it was a couple months or so, um, Gigi Shin, who's this amazing singer that's now passed out of Louisiana, uh, called Bobby, and <laughs> he said, what are you doing? He goes, nothing, I'm waiting for Toto. You know, they're, they're working on these songs and stuff, and I, I want to play live, man. I want to I get it done. <laughs> I want to get it going on. So Gigi Shin drove in his van straight through out to L.A. and got Bobby and brought him back to Louisiana to play with them until Toto was ready, and... And Oren Gidry, when I was interviewing him, who was the bass player in Machine with Bobby, Bobby was staying at his house, and he said that phone rang every day with David Page checking on Bobby. Oh, wow. And when it was time to go, he said that Bobby left his house and went down the driveway, and that was it. He waved by, and Bobby was L.A. bound back there, and it was game on. Yeah. And that was the beginning of that run. So uh, I do want to say a couple things um i I do want to say that you know through this whole thing and and through my relationship with bobby there's always been this throwing grenades back and forth from different camps uh and usually it's people that really have played with bobby a few times and they get involved and they figure there's some fanfare out of throwing negativity into this thing and then there's some fans that think that they are getting on Lukather's better side or a bandmate's better side by telling him god-awful things. But Bobby did say to me that that day at NAMM when I walked him over to Lukather and those two hugged it out. And I know Luke says I ambushed him, but it wasn't intended that way. Bobby said to me that night, he he did this thing where he taps you on the knee like this, and he Mm -hmm. goes, I love you. He goes, everybody's always trying to feed us red meat and have us mad at each other. And here you were just trying to get us to form back together and be friends again, not try to put a band back together, right. not try to do all that, just be friends. And and really, that's what it's about here. There's been a total mending with a lot of different relationships, and you'll see it through this journey of different people because some of them weren't talking to each other anymore. And I can only hope that these guys will see that the history they made will never be matched I don't care. Everybody, everybody's band's a little different, and this one's iconic. And in the history they did together is awesome. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and I don't want them to be. I never want it. It disturbed me when there was negative things going on, and I was never a part of any of that. I was just a producer here in the states that did two records with Bobby, and I was just trying to let Bobby have another plateau to step on to show his voice off. 
It wasn't a co- competition of any sort. I could never compete with that. That's the iconic stuff that I, you know, I'm bowing down to constantly. I'm referring to constantly their writing and Paige's writing. They, they, those guys are geniuses and they're amazing people. So that that's what I wanted to say. And there and and I will say this too, Bobby. I guess I'll let this out. I sat with Bobby for five hours. He said to me he would like to write Paige and Luke. So I sat him down and I would ask him, do you love him? Yes, I love him. I'd write that down. I love them both. What do you think about your history? You know, what about what David did with you with the songs? And and I developed two awesome paragraphs for those guys. One for Picaro, one for Lenny. Hungate won't get back to me, so I can't really do it for him. So I have, did I help, you know, create these paragraphs? Yes, but I took it from Bobby. You know, one lines, Mm -hmm. that's all I could get. He can't sit down and come. So they have letters waiting for them from Bobby or paragraphs of kind of, I, I, you know, I get choked up saying departed, but, you know, his, his last letters to them. So, and how would, when will he get those to them or will you? Well, uh, I'm through a friend of ours, Alan Friedman. I think he said something to Luke. We're supposed to maybe get together for a coffee or something when I'm out there. If that happens, fine. And and then after, hopefully after Lukather and I sit down and I'm able to interview them or whatever, I'll hand it right yeah. over. And because they need to be by themselves. I, I don't need to do this online. I don't need to share it with other people. This needs to be for them personally. Uh, but but I thought it was a great thing because he kept obsessing when he get, gets into something. Bobby, I, I want to do those letters. Uh, a letter, Steve. Yeah. Letter. So we went to this little diner that the girl, the waitresses love him there, and they put up with like you know. But he he'll be loud sometimes because his hearing. And uh, <laughs> anyway, and everybody will freak out. But but at this restaurant, they're like. Yeah. What do you need, Bobby? You know, they're they're like over there and they're patting him and giving him a hug and stuff. So they let us hang out there and drink coffee. He doesn't drink coffee anymore, but I'll get him pie or something else. And we'll just sit there and hang out and tell stories. And Cool. So that's where I pretty much did it. And then I took him back and put him in a way. And I read him to Bobby and he smiled. So those are for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're Amazing. breaking me up, man. Woo. Yeah. Well, this is going to be an amazing piece of work. I can't wait till we get to see it. So definitely keep us posted with anything that you're leaking out, music, trailers, all that stuff, and we'll be sure to promote them. I will. And and there's one other thing I must say, because there's been a couple artists that say that Bobby treated them uh, unkind, and I need them to understand about 2012 or so when this started affecting him, it started with anger because he was frustrated and not knowing what's going on. I even got it on my end, and I had some words with him. And then when we did, we're not in Kansas anymore. We saw it coming to full blown, you know, fruition. It was it was like in front of us, and we had to deal with it and try to get done. He didn't mean that anybody that any artist or friends that feel that he was mean. I think he's just confused and didn't know how to you know say it. So com- communication was a little fragmented. Mm. And I know that he loves everybody and he wants everybody to be happy. So, wow. All the more reason why it's cool that you're giving him a voice in this way. And so, right. again, cool stuff. We can't wait to see it. So, hit, it's it. you, you'll hear from him in here. 
Oh, oh good. Yeah. Awesome. It's interesting. There's so many books coming out and documentaries yeah. and things like we uh, talked about offline, The Hired Gun, just things... Uh, David Foster's got a little documentary on him. And it's just this stuff is just fascinating. And there's so many stories to tell. We love that there's storytellers like you out there doing it. Yeah, so thank right. you. Thank you again. Doing what you do. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I can't wait for this project to come out. I hope it's not one of those things that gets delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed, because I can't wait. Yeah, I'm going to need a few uh, boxes of Kleenex with me <laughs> at my side at the ready. Some of those stories were rib ticklers, though. They you were. Know? They were. But, yeah. but knowing why it's being done and knowing the state that Bobby's unfortunately in, uh, it, I don't know. It's just It'll be hard to watch, but it, it'll be must, you know, must-see TV for me. Yeah, it all uh, that mountains and mountains of interview footage that they got with the likes of Champlin, and if he gets Luca Third, and you know he's already got Ipicaro. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of that I could watch before I got sick of it. Maybe all of it, you know, uncut. I'm saying. <laughs> oh, oh, uncut. Oh my gosh. Uncut. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, he's going to lose a big chunk of his life just going through that stuff. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing he's doing. I can't wait to see it. And uh, it was interesting to hear him talk about it. So, yeah, he's very passionate about it, man. You could tell this means a lot to him. Yeah, it's personal as well as professional. So, yeah. cool. All right. Well, should we uh, mosey on down into the lightning round? Okie dokie. All right. Um,. I have so much stuff building up uh, on my list of lightning round worthy stuff that I decided I'm just going to, I got to start clearing the decks a little bit. Right, here. right. So mine is not Bobby Kimball themed. For the uh, most part. Mine, I'm going to see, I'm giving a quick look. No, mine is not either because I really didn't know exactly where the conversation was going to go. And the Bobby Kimball thing, we've covered Toto in so many different ways that I figured that, uh, like you said, I'm going to clear the decks as well. All right. Well, do you want to flip a coin to see who goes first? Okay. Heads, I win. Uh, tails, you lose. Perfect. What was it? Heads. Uh, you win. I guess you lose. Wait. Okay. Huh? Go first. All right. Uh, I had this one because it, it sits uh, right at the uh, the infamous Mendoza line. And yes, I'm going to ask you a question again about something on the Yatsky scale. Okay. Um, I wasn't exactly sure how to frame it, but uh, it sits right at 50. So I suppose that makes it on the boat, but it feels like it's right on the line. So I could give you the option of giving it a half a point up or half a point down if you wanted to <laughs> touch the score. But um, I think it goes to, with Yacht Rock, and particularly modern Yacht Rock, we're so happy to hear somebody do something that really honors it and does it well that I think we're eager to put it on the boat. And that's sort of what I feel maybe is happening with this song though i love it um uh i would i want to get your opinion on it and it's a young gun silver fox tune so you know how much i like them so this is not yeah. a knock on the quality of the song uh and it's decidedly west coast it's from the album west end coast but what do you think about you can feel it
A lot of strummy acoustic guitar in there and not yes. really a bounce. It does, of course, have the roads in there, but... Um, uh, and it's not high it's scored. Got, it's right at 50, so it's not... 50, like right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that, like, the guitar lead melody that is yep. throughout is also acoustic guitar. Yeah. Um, I know it's on my Modern Yacht Rock playlist, but that's yeah. not the question you're asking. Uh, I think I would put it at 49 and a half okay. and not 50 and a half. How about you? I kind of think the same thing. I feel like I'm knocking it, you know, giving no, it a, a downgrade. It's not really a downgrade. It's just I feel that we probably, as a Yacht Rock Nation or a Yacht Rock group, have maybe elevated it because of our wish to have more modern yachts. You know? Yeah. Well, and I'll say I would always just reflexively put anything that they had. I would always throw it into my modern yacht rock playlist. And now I'm not doing that as much for one because of a song like this, but also I feel like a lot of their newer stuff is not necessarily yachty, but it's West Coasty. Absolutely. So their yeah. stuff is on multiple playlists in my sure. Spotify. So yeah. So, so I, I want to hear it, obviously. Right. Uh, but I don't know. Not really yachty. Okay. Cool. Which is kind of a good segue into the song I have for you, because I have a feeling your gut is going to tell you one thing, and I have a feeling your brain and your intellect is going to back that up. <laughs> hmm. But there's something about this song where I'm like, maybe. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going back to Santana. Okay. Off of the 1978 album, Inner Secrets. It's like classic. You know, I, I'm wondering, is there, first of all, one question is, is there such thing as a Santana bounce, right? <laughs> which is, you know, that thing in uh, Evil Ways? Yeah. You'll, you're going to hear some of that. But there's some yachty elements. There's electric piano. I don't know. Just maybe take it from the top, and let's hear a little bit of Stormy. So, on the one hand, signature Santana, but are you hearing any sort of uh, yachtiness in that number? Yeah, more than I expected. I would not put it anywhere near the 50 line. No. But there was more in there. When it started off, I thought, okay, it's kind of, like you said, it's got some evil ways feel to it. The guitar lead in the intro is a little too bluesy. But then all of a sudden, the verse starts, and it kind of smooths out. Like, it oh, does, oh, yeah. A little surprising there. I didn't know that song. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it's, it's a good one. Yep. Yeah. And I, I have it uh, acceptable. So you know how they put it essential and then yeah. Yacht Rock and yeah, I, I have acceptable. In other words, it's okay if you put it in your Is list. Is that like above 25? <laughs> yeah. Between yeah. 25 and 35 is acceptable? Mm, 35 <laughs> and 50. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, so I guess it's back to me it then is. for the uh, buried treasure. Okay. So my buried treasure is a sort of tiny little piece of ear candy Within a buried treasure. Oh, so deep cut, deep deep yes. cut. Tur Turducken. So the, the, yes, <laughs> the deep cut artist is Greg Guidry. Ah, yeah. Uh, and since we're trying to build a, a Spotify playlist, I'm going to the one record that's on Spotify. And right. are you familiar with this tune? It's not a cover of the Kenny Loggins classic, but are you familiar with Heart to Heart? Only a little. How about I hit a little of it? Is there, yeah. Is there a spot you want me to hit? Take it for whatever you want, and then I'm going to have you play a little millisecond that I think is real cool ear candy. All right. I'm talking to you. Maybe I need your love. Need 
You know, one thing about Greg's stuff is that uh, he knows how to produce a chorus. You know, it always has such a great lift, and then the the backup vocals are just right. He really understands how to highlight the hook of a song. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, and to that point, I want to show you the micro moment. Oh yeah, which is you hear, you know, he's the every time it goes into the chorus, everything kind of stops, right? But later on, when they're setting up the final chorus. And there, there's that little stop. In prior iterations, you hear the reverb bleed over, you know, like you would normally. But for this one, they decided to mute or blunt the reverb, and it just goes completely blank, and it's not something that you would have probably done easily back then. So check this out. I'm talking to you. Yeah, that really catches you by surprise. The reverb, like the decay of the synths, everything just, boom, just cuts it right off. <laughs> yeah, almost like they had to cut the tape. I, I mean, wonder I if know. they did that, if they cut a little leader into the master there. Yeah, uh, cool, cool yeah. stuff. But I love that song, and I'm loving some Greg uh, Guidry. So, anyways, over to you. All right. Well, then, uh, that that's uh, what? Uh, Buried Treasure. Yeah. You're correct. Uh, the other night, I was listening to a Melissa Manchester album on a vinyl it was the Don't Cry Out Loud album, 1978. And as I'm listening to it, I'm finding a fair amount of yacht vibes in it. Not quite full yacht rock, but a mm. lot of yachty vibes to it. It's produced by a guy that uh, you brought to the podcast, at least in terms of uh, us becoming aware, and that was Leon Ware. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So he produced it, and he's got a little more of a disco and R&B background. So the thing that he brings into this that probably makes it not Yachty, is there a lot of uh, very aggressive string parts, very big string parts mm. in it. So, and that's kind of fitting with what you would think of with the adult contemporary uh, Melissa Manchester stuff. But from a groove and chord structure standpoint, it's got a lot of Yachty in it. So I'm picking one of those for um, my buried treasure. A lot of it is similar to that J.P. Morgan album. Remember that one? Love it, yeah. love it, love it. So this track has, as I said, produced by Leon Ware. It also includes Chuck Rainey. Uh, Lee Rittenauer, Greg Fillingaines, uh, Lenny Castro, Richard T., Tom Saviano does all the arranging and the horns. I mean, so it, there's a lot of West Coast Yachty people. This is called Almost Everything. Now's the time to try to find the feeling. I think you should know what's in my heart. My imagination knows what's really. Enough to hope for from the start. All the stars are on the street tonight, making me believe in almost anything. Well, that does sound a little bit like that, J.P. Morgan. Um, you, you actually managed to tie it into today's theme because our guest was from Detroit. You and I are from Detroit, mm-hmm. and, and Leon Ware is originally from oh, Detroit. Hey, if I knew that, I forgot. Yeah, well, that's a good tune. I yep. love that. Yep. The whole album's like that? Uh, 75%. There's a couple like piano vocal ballads, but there's a lot of that feel throughout that record. Cool. Yeah. All right. I'm going to check that out. Right. All right. Well, take us off the map, if you would. Is it my turn? I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my off the map is uh, very off the map, but it it barely connects, but I do have a slight connection <laughs> to it. Um. We've never asked the question, is there a Yachty Steve Miller band song? Because I think oh. that that 
answers itself, right? Um, right. I would assume not. But interestingly, there's one song that he has. It's kind of smooth. It is drum machine heavy. It's kind of in, in his later years. But I always thought this was a nice smooth tune, and I'm not making the case this is Yacht Rock. I'm just making the case that I can talk about it on Out of the Main, which is sort of a Yacht Rock podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, it tries to be. Yeah, yeah. This is from 1986. The album is called Living in the 20th Century. The song is I Want to Make the World Turn Around, and the sax player on it is one Kenny G. I gotta say, what year did you say that was? 86? I was gonna guess 86, even though you already said it and I wasn't paying attention. Right. But there was no denying which way music was going at that point, was there? Yeah, I mean, sampled, uh, sampled thumb bass, drum yep. machine, uh, uh, super bright sax. Yeah, uh, it sounds like the guitar is through a rock man, you know, the Tom Scholes box. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I really like that too. Yes. So I was not familiar with it and it sounds really good. So I'm gonna put it on some kind of place. Yeah, it was a modest hit for him. Yep. All right, cool. What do you got? Well, I got, I'm calling it Audible because I said my uh, lightning round was not going to be super related to today's guest, but I'm going to change my mind here because Mr. John Zake is doing a, a good thing by doing his best to get these folks back together, if not as musicians and, and collaborators, then certainly as friends. So I'm going to try to do the same thing with my lightning round. So uh, we've had stories about Bobby Kimball today, right? And I'm going to go to David Page's 22. Uh, 2022 mm, record release, okay. Forgotten Toys. Yeah. And I'm going to pull up a song that features David Page, of course, Steve Lukather, Joseph Williams. Ooh. I mean, we're getting as close as we can to a Toto reunion, and we got Bobby Kimball waiting in the wings. This is a uh, kind of a cool tune. It's called, it's all one word, and it's all lowercase, so maybe Prince collaborated too, but <laughs> it's uh, Will I Belong to You. So those uh, drum sounds will certainly take you off the map, won't they? Yeah, they'll take your eardrums out. Boy, they are bright and they are hard. Well, yeah, and uh, John Zaka, our guest, was uh, warning us that, you know, this isn't all Yacht Rock, his documentary is getting into Total's full catalog, which that's kind of why I picked that song. Fine by me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a rocker. Cool. Well, anything else to add? I thought we would try something different at the end of the podcast. Oh, I like where you're going with this idea. Yeah. All right. right. Well, why don't we have our guest sign us off today? Kind of like in the old radio days. That's right. Hit it, John. Hi, this is John Zaka, and you're listening to Out of the Main. Ahoy, Poloi. (laughs) 